Hey, faithful listener. Thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries daily podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you grow spiritually so you can grow personally. Let's grow together by building a consistent Bible reading routine. This is Jen, your host, and today we will be discussing the book of Exodus. Hey, happy Monday, friends and faithful listeners. You've tuned into the P40 Ministries podcast with your host, Jen. I hope you guys had a really fantastic weekend this weekend and that you uh, did lots of fun stuff. It was kind of uh, cold <laughs> here where I'm at. Uh, and you know what, though? I, I kind of enjoy this weather because this weather, the colder weather means less bugs. I'm very happy when there are no bugs. <laughs> So I'm happy to live where I do because even though we have really harsh winters around here, it kills off all the big bugs. So um, yes, I, I'm quite happy about that. I This year, okay, I'm not even joking. We had a really hot summer this year and a very buggy summer. Like it was a very like, uh, I don't know, it was, it was really muggy. So there was a lot of bugs. And one day I was like driving down my road and I'm not even joking. There was some sort of sick disgusting green bug crossing the road and I could see it from my vehicle and at first I thought that it was like a rodent because it was so big but no it's this nasty green bug crossing the road and it had these big long legs and oh I was like oh my goodness I can't wait for winter to come because stuff like that will hopefully go away so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not compassionate when it comes towards bugs. I just don't like them. Okay, let's go ahead and talk about Exodus chapter 29, verses 38 through 46. I'll be reading out of the W.E.B. version, but you can feel free to read out of whatever version you usually read out of. Grab that cup of coffee or that cup of tea, and let's go ahead and read. Now this is that which you should offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, continually. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at evening. And with the one lamb, a tenth part of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a fourth part of a hin of beaten oil, and a fourth part of a hin of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at evening, and you shall do it according to the meal offering of the morning and according to its drink offering, for a pleasant aroma, an offering made by fire to Yahweh. It shall be a continually burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the children of Israel, and the place shall be sanctified by my glory. I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. I will also sanctify Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. They shall know that I am Yahweh their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. I personally really like this passage of scripture because to me, it kind of is like really loving or something. I think God is like really expressing his love through this portion of scripture because he's talking about how he really wants to like dwell with his people or like live with them and be their God, basically. So he wants to be their God. And the cool thing about this is when you think about that, there was nothing God was gaining by being these people's God or even being our God nowadays. There's nothing God is gaining from that. <laughs> 
if you think about that, the, the entire nation of Israel at this point, they would be gaining from having God on their side. God was gaining absolutely nothing from these people. I mean, obviously, he created us for a reason. And uh, he, he likes us. It says in the Bible that he thinks fondly of us. So he likes us. And because of his love for us, he wants to be with us. But in actuality, he's really not gaining anything. So it's just showing how loving God is being towards his people here. Just the fact that he really, really wants to live with them and to love them and to be their father and uh, to be their God. So here is the very end of this like consecration ceremony or like the ceremony that Aaron was supposed to do in order to become a priest, the high priest, actually. So Moses right now is kind of acting as the high priest, but God wants to put Aaron in this role. Maybe God knew that Moses just needed to step back or something. I don't know, but he wanted... Aaron to kind of take over this role and not just Aaron but also Aaron's sons and then Aaron's sons sons <laughs> so he wanted the entire like tribe of Levi to become these priests and obviously Moses and Aaron were from the tribe of Levi and so the Levites were supposed to be the priests of the nations so it says here that after this entire ceremony is over with God wants these two lambs to be sacrificed daily now they had to be year old lambs and uh, they had to be sacrificed one had to be sacrificed in the morning and then one had to be sacrificed in the evening and this was for everybody's benefit I said uh, the other day I can't remember what day it was but I said the other day that nowadays we live under Jesus and uh, what Jesus's sacrifice was to us so we don't do this anymore but back then this is what they would have to do in order to be forgiven. It's called the law of sin and death. Because when Adam and Eve took that fruit in the garden and disobeyed God in that way, they purposefully allowed themselves to understand the concept of evil. So once they became a evil, evil basically entered into the world and everything evil came into the world, like death and sickness and misery and all sorts of different crap. So that is when evil came into the world and because of that before there was no evil there was no death and so now that there is evil the only way to get rid of that evil is actually through death so they call it the law of sin and death and it's a new law that still exists to this day but now we have Jesus where if we just believe in Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us where he paid the ultimate price which was death on a cross for all of humanity. Now, when we die, we have like freedom over death and we live with God forever. Whereas back in these days, the people didn't necessarily have that. They would die in their sins. And so death had to be a constant thing that happened. And it was supposed to be a very somber event. It wasn't supposed to be like how they ended up making it. The Israeli people actually ended up um, almost using it as a currency. It was very odd. Because <laughs> when Jesus goes into the temple, he gets angry when he sees the people there selling pigeons and stuff to just give to, you know, to, to sell to people because they were taking advantage of the people and the people were supposed to go out and get those pigeons themselves. <laughs> they weren't supposed to be like bartering for them in the temple. That was not good. But anyway, I'm, I'm going slightly off topic here. But so back in these days before Jesus came to the earth, 
death had to be done in order so that the people could be forgiven from their sins. That was just the law. And so one thing I mentioned was that if we think of this back then as sickening, as appalling, and as absolutely terrible, then we have to think of Jesus's death that way. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us. And we don't typically think of Jesus' death that way. We think of it as loving, sacrificial, and all that kind of stuff. We don't think of it as barbaric. But back, you know, a lot of times churches like to avoid the topic of sacrifices in the Old Testament because of people's views on it. But it's a, it's a concept that back then the people just had to do in order to be forgiven. Jesus wasn't around yet. He wasn't in the world yet. So the people had to do this while they were waiting for Jesus to come into the world. And that is how they could be saved is by following the law and by loving God with their hearts and by having this animal pay the price of their sins for them until Jesus, who was the lamb, we call him the lamb, paid the price for us on the cross. So this is what the people had to do. And this was very, very, very common. Back then, people understood this concept. And I, I've kind of reiterated all this stuff before if you've, if you've listened to some of my ep- other episodes. But I was actually reading forward a little bit in Exodus today, and I got to the, um, to the whole thing with the golden calf, which is in Exodus chapter 32. And the people actually offered sacrifices to that golden calf. So this was common back then. You know, people were always offering sacrifices to their gods, Egyptian gods. You know, the people came from Egypt and they knew all about the Egyptian gods. People offered sacrifices in Egypt. And I was reading somewhere that at one point, Egyptians even did human sacrifices for a little while there. So sacrifices was a concept the people understood and really thought nothing of until God changed the way it was done completely where the people had to like identify with this animal and lay their hands on this animal and then kill it as like a show of like you know they're putting their sins on this animal almost this was a somber event that had to happen it wasn't just like a willy-nilly you know I'm gonna kill this animal so I'm saved no I mean God completely changed it so that it would be an event where the people were like, holy moly, this animal is taking my sins for me. This animal is dying in my place. What a sad thing. So that is how God was changing this entire concept of sacrifices back in these days. So he says here that basically as a standing uh, thing for generations to come, that two lambs were supposed to be sacrificed, one in the morning and one in the evening. And uh, this was for all the people and for the priests, for everybody. This would be a lasting ordinance is what it says. And uh, until Jesus comes, obviously. So, and that's what the Israeli people did until Jesus came pretty much. And the temple was destroyed in uh, AD 70 or CE 70. The people offered sacrifices all until that time, until after Jesus. And so um, unless they were captive, then they did not. But anyway, going back to this. This is what the people did, and God commanded the people to do this. So a year-old lamb was supposed to be sacrificed in the morning, and then a year-old lamb at night. But in the morning, an extra part was supposed to be sacrificed. It was called a drink offering, and also this like uh, grain offering, it looks like. But the drink offering is what I really want to focus on here. It says that um, a 
fourth part of a hin of wine for a drink offering. I don't actually know what a hin is. Oh, actually, it says right here. A hin is about 6.5 liters or 1.7 gallons. So a fourth of a hin is about 1.6 liters. So that's just over a liter of pop. <laughs> so it's a pretty big thing of wine. And so that was supposed to be sacrificed in the morning. It was a bit of wine. Now the way that the wine was sacrificed, it was called a drink offering. And God is introducing it here. It was supposed to be completely poured out. And actually Paul mentions the concept of a drink offering in Philippians. And that was one of the, either the last book Paul wrote or one of the last books. I'm, I can't remember. But Paul said that he his entire life was actually a drink offering. He was going to be poured out for God. And that could be alluding to the fact that he was about to be martyred. That, that is kind of the concept of this drink offering. The priests were supposed to pour it out, almost like in dedication of God. And the fact that they were like pouring their entire lives into ministry, into this priestly ministry for the people. So that was kind of like this concept of this drink offering every single morning. And the priests had to do this every morning to remind themselves of this. This was all, not just for the people, but this was all for the priests as well, that they would be, you know, they would be reminded day after day that they were in priestly duty. They were supposed to be doing the best work that they could do and be ministering to, to the people as best as they possibly could and be ministering to God because they had a very special role. I mean, imagine being able to communicate directly with God. Like that is, that was their role. They could literally communicate with God. And like tell people, tell the people what was going on. Like this was a position of honor and glory. And that's what God even says when he mentions the clothing they're wearing. It was for glory and for beauty. So this was a very like honoring position that these priests were in. And we know that because look at the Pharisees in Jesus's time. They were the chief priests. And they were so arrogant. <laughs> they loved their role in society where people were constantly coming to them for advice and you know they were they were the advice givers they were the law givers they translated the law this was a role that they really really enjoyed having it was very much in the public eye you know they loved it <laughs> so when god is like giving these rules to the chief priests he's reminding them look your your life is being poured out into your ministry for the people and you know um it was keeping them humble. It was a way to keep his priests very humble. And so I think that's an interesting concept. Um, but, you know, it didn't last for very long as the uh, chief priest did become very arrogant after a while. And so anyway, after this, it says that this was supposed to be a continually burnt offering throughout the generations at the door of the tent of meeting before Yahweh, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. See, that's that's the cool thing about being a priest. You know, God would speak to them right there at the tent of meeting when they're performing these kinds of sacrifices to God. And so it says that, through these sacrifices, I will sanctify the tent of meeting and the altar. And I will also sanctify Aaron and his sons to minister to me in the priest's office. Now, sanctify means to like make them clean, to make them set apart, to make them holy, you know, so they would be holy. And I think there's something later on that says that um, when they do this stuff, that the tent of meeting would be holy, the altar would be holy, and everybody that touched them would become holy. So I think that's really an interesting concept where like God was you know, radiating his holiness that the, when the priest touched the stuff, they would also become holy. 
and uh, set apart from the other people. So then in verses 45 and 46, he talks about how this is benefiting all of Israel, not just the priests. This is benefiting all of Israel because through these sacrifices and through the priests, God would dwell with his people or he would live with them. And that's what he was going to do. He was going to live inside that most holy place in that tent of meeting. He was going to live in a tent with his people. Can you imagine God living in a tent? Like that's kind of a funny concept. We don't think of a tent as a very special place, but that's where he chose to live because his people were traveling nomads kind of. And so he wanted to live there in that tent with them. Now, granted, it was a very nice tent. It was a beautiful tent. But even so... It was a tent. <laughs> and that's what he chose to live in with his people. He was becoming part of their community. They were all living in tents too. So of course, he's not going to force them to all build a palace for him. He was building a tent. They were building a tent and they were able to move that tent around and stuff when they moved. And But anyway, so that's what God chose to do. And he wanted to use that tent to live there with his people. And he was going to live there, on, his presence was going to live there on top of that Ark of the Covenant in between the angel wings. So he's going to live there and sit there and <laughs> do whatever right there. And uh, I mean, his presence was everywhere, but that's where his presence was going to live. You know, God is omnipresent, which means he's all over the place. But that's where he was going to live, was there with his people. He'd be continually returning to his home, which would be that tabernacle, that tent. And so the other thing I think about with that is if that tent was God's home, in a sense, you know, we're very protective of our homes. So God could kind of tell the people to whatever he wanted to tell them. You know, you, you have a certain set of rules when you come into my home. Like, for example, I had my college and career group over recently and I told them this time, I'm like, throw your paper plates away. I don't want to keep doing it. And I told them, you know, I, I set down that rule, throw your plates away. OK, because I don't want to do it all the time. So that was a rule I made in my home. And because they are guests in my home on a weekly basis, they follow those rules and they're very respectful and they take their shoes off and they throw their paper plates away now. And, you know, that's that's a set of rules I set in my home. And, you know, God was allowed to set rules in his home, especially if he wanted people to like fellowship with him and stuff. I mean, it's no different than than you and I wanting to set rules in our homes and expect people to follow them. You know, this was God's home. He was going to live in that tent. These are the rules he's setting up so that, you know, he can live with his people and so that the priest can come into his home and fellowship with him and uh, leave his home. And, you know, this is what they had to do. So anyway, it says here in verse 46 now, it says that um, the people shall know that I am Yahweh their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am Yahweh their God. And I like how that ends there, that very powerful notes that he is their God and they're going to know it because when he's living there with them and they're following these set of rules that he puts in place, he says that there's not going to be like any sicknesses like among them. There's not going to be any sicknesses or plagues or even infertility. Like the people are going to be super prolific and have sons and daughters and be happy. And, and God was going to bless them, uh, not only monetarily, but also with their grain and with their farming and with their cattle and whatever else. That's what God said he was going to do. So there was benefits for these people 
to have God living there. It wasn't just so that they could hear God's voice. So, I mean, that's a pretty cool benefit. But, I mean, God was really going to be there to bless his people. And his glory was going to basically, like, shine over the nation of Israel through this tent where he was going to be living with them. And uh, through these rules that these priests had to do. So, I, I find this just very loving, this, this portion of scripture, where God is talking about how if these priests remain holy that God was going to live with his people and he was going to bless them and keep them and, and father them basically and I just I love that I think that is super cool and uh, pretty awesome but friends and faithful listeners I hope you loved this episode today and I certainly did I thought this one was pretty cool I enjoyed talking about this and uh, just uh, bringing some of these concepts to light a little bit so I hope you guys um, were touched by this episode and if you were Please rate the podcast five stars and share it on your social media platforms, but also just tell people about it. Best way to spread something is just by word of mouth. So if you know somebody that needs to listen to a good podcast, then suggest the P40 Ministries podcast if you think it's a good podcast. (laughs) And I hope you do. But anyway, friends and faithful listeners, I hope that you are blessed and have a fantastic rest of your day. And as usual, happy listening and God bless. 